This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. All right, I got to admit, Barry, <laughs> this is weird. We don't have to do this. <laughs> we don't? You don't want to do it? No, if you don't want to do it, we won't do it. Guys, no. right now, I mean, I we were joking about this on the last show or the, or the show before that, but we're using Skype this week to watch each other while we do the show and it's just very weird it's very awkward right we normally don't have a visual of each other (laughs) while we do the podcast we're only hearing each other so i can't even get the opening it's a hard nicks what's up nicks fans out am i that distracting to you (laughs) yeah well first of all dude and we all know you're in your bathroom but i haven't really i don't really see it live what is going on on that on the mic is that's that pink uh, is that a- this is it's my homemade like microphone screen filter thing and what is it made with i've never seen it before i heard it's about made it. of like i don't know i don't know what you call this is it pantyhose or is it <laughs> a stocking maybe it's a stocking i guess you would say and it's wrapped around like a wire hanger type of thing <laughs> to be honest from you know? here it looks like like pink panties that you're well, speaking into <laughs> it does look like that now that you mention it it's not pink panties um, uh, but I, I do. I did. Should I, I did put saying, it on my Christmas should list. Should I be saying uh, panties as a grown man? Or you you that... could say panties. I think you could say panties. Hmm. All right. Well, I'll have to get used to this. We try to give this portrayal of this hard-edged, you know, rough Nick's life, and you're speaking into some panties over there, pink panties. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. What's up? It is a hard Nick's life, so hard that Barry's speaking into a pair of panties right now. And we are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. What are you drinking? I'm drinking a little Maker's Mark whiskey on the wow. rocks. Look at you. Do you do that every week? Um, The last couple of weeks I, I have been. It's a rough stretch yeah. here. <laughs> Not every night the last couple of weeks, but when we do a podcast sometimes... It, relaxes me a little bit and i enjoy it and you can catch us every wednesday at 11 a uh, at 11 a.m eastern right barry that's right that's right and you know if you're listening to us on dash radio right now you know for the first time like craig said you could catch us on itunes it's a hard next life so welcome right that's dash radio the nothing but net channel a little lacking in information there barry well that's what we're here we're here to fill in each other's gaps (laughs) to focus on that maker's mark yeah this is season two episode 22 fuck we're already off to a great fucking start (laughs) in this show this is Randy from North Bergen. I'm Mark. I've been a Knicks fan for 24 years. I've been a Knicks fan since 1992. This is Bart. I'm from DC. Hey guys, Steve this here. This is Manny from Stanford. I've been since the early 90s. It is a hard. It's a hard. It is a hard. Knicks life. Knicks life. Knicks life. It is a hard Knicks life. What's up? This is Micaiah calling all the way from Palm Springs, California. First time, long time. Shout out to the boys. It's a hard Nick's life. What's up, Barry? What's going on, Axe? That was uh, Micaiah from Palm Springs, California. Messiah. He's a first time, long time. I mean, that's an honor. Yep. I don't know if he meant that or if that was a mistake, just like an automatic thing, but... <laughs> I think he meant it. What's going on, dude? Happy holidays. Merry Christmas coming up. Yeah, we are uh, in the thick of it right now. One week and counting where's, to, uh, to Christmas. Where's that elf on the shelf in your house? Right now? Yeah, yeah. You it started at what a couple weeks ago? You said, and, uh, uh, dude, it's like it's an extra week of it this year because Thanksgiving was so early. So, yeah, it's an extra week of 
trying to come up with stuff. So yeah, now I'm at the point where like I'm doubling up on places that the elf's already been because I'm running out of spots. <laughs> and does so the- it's on the top of the Christmas tree again, hiding <laughs> behind the angel on the Christmas tree. Does the family get mad at the elf and they're like, "Elf, you were already over there." <laughs> Fortunately, <laughs> I haven't heard that yet. <laughs> anyway. Do your kids get mad at? Have they been getting mad at the elf? Is the elf watching them closely? Are they being good? You told me that um, your son, you know, wasn't allowed to get some Hanukkah presents a few nights because, or both of them, right? Yeah, yeah. Did the elf? <laughs> did the elf on the shelf witness any of that? Or does that you know just is? affect Hanukkah? So I think my kids forgot about that part with the elf. You know, <laughs> they just remember that this, that they look for her as soon as they get up, and then they find where she is. I think they forget the whole idea. Is oh, that it's a she's she. watching them. It's a she, and uh, she's watching them. I didn't know there were she elves. Them. Yeah, you could get a boy elf or a girl elf, and we got a girl. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And has it been in the bathrooms yet? Uh, once. I was in the bathroom once. <laughs> and the purpose of that location? You know, <laughs> the elf has to be omnipresent almost. It's got to be everywhere. There's no restrictions. Is that like if your kids are flushing things they shouldn't be, he'll, she will catch them and... Now, to be honest, we don't think that, that far, you know, into it. You know, I'm just looking for hiding spots at this point, you know. <laughs> Either something that looks very creative or something where it's hard to find. All right. I mean, enough about these. I mean, everyone's tuned out already. They've had enough. Totally. Yeah. Where to begin? Where to begin? What's our record in the last 10 games, Craig? Dude, we're... T- well, the last 10 games? I can give you the last 11. <laughs> <laughs> can I give you the last 11? Sure. Sure. If that's, if that's how your prep worked out. That's how my fucking prep worked out, Barry. Two and nine. I, I told you I bumped into John Starks this week. <laughs> you bumped, oh, oh, you bumped into him. See, I oh. thought you saw him from three ellipticals away. I didn't realize you bumped into him. Now I can't wait to hear the story. <laughs> well, I didn't technically bump into him. I was oh, okay. doing my every Monday, Wednesday, Friday elliptical routine, which is really just an excuse to get away from the office. And uh, turn to my left, and there's the legend... One of my childhood heroes, John Starks, putting his head, little headphones in the elliptical, just like me, Barry, just like me. <laughs> He's not just, you're, you're not just like him. He so had his, stop it right there. He had a pair of Knicks shorts on, which I always find funny. Oh, really? Yeah. Good, good for him. Second time I've seen him at my gym. You know, it's in Connecticut. A lot of the players, former players, execs live there. So Now, do you own a pair of Knicks shorts yourself? I don't even own a pair of Nick shorts. Oh, because see, that would have been a great opener if you had Nick shorts on too, (laughs) because I wanted you to say something to him. But (laughs) what did you say to me? What did you say to me? You respect other people's gym time. Is that what you said? I was texting. And that's nice. I was texting you while I was like, dude, look who's three ellipticals away from me. And I'm sitting there trying to like take all these photos of him. I'm just pointing my camera sideways and just rifling just double tapping on the camera button and moving it around as fast as I can to try and catch some glimpse of him for Barry. Yeah, but I didn't need to see it. I mean, I believed you that he was there. I didn't need proof. Well, I really want to tweet out that I was, you know, three ellipticals away from a legend. <laughs> it's very exciting. And uh, yeah, dude, I, resp- I but I, I've seen him twice now and I will not say hello to him. He's got his headphones in. Well, I view gym time mode? as a very personal... If I bumped into him on the street or walking down a hallway, I would say hello. Right. I but respect th- that. You know, I respect that. But what if it was like after you know after he's done working out, he was showering, maybe like you're exiting together or something at that point? Because that, now he's done working out. He's kind of you know done with his, his gym time, so to speak. I think I would, right? So you were giving me a hard time. So I f- actually felt like a real loser by not... I don't know what I would have done. I would have had to like climb over three lepticals over, <laughs> giving him like a hand signal to take out his headphones, right? <laughs> and while he's doing this elliptical work, try and shake hands with him or something, it wouldn't have worked. But yeah. you gave me such a complex about it, dude. I finished my workout. And at that point, I, he switched machines and he was doing like a leg machine. And I'm like heading into the locker room. And I was like, shit, am I really going to leave here without... Barry told me he was going to be very disappointed if I don't say hello to him. And so I stood in the locker room for like 10 minutes, dressed, being like, come on, Craig, just go out there. 
go say hello to John Starks. <laughs> and, uh, well, I didn't. Eventually, I was like, you know what? If he comes in the locker room and he happens to be changing, like, right next to me, I'll say something. But I didn't say anything. So I'm sorry I disappointed you. That's awkward, too, because then you're one of those guys that talks to you while you're half naked getting changed. I mean, you'd be surprised. You do. Everyone does it. I don't know how many coworkers I've seen pretty much totally naked, which makes work very weird. But, <laughs> and you know, it's I'm still finding it weird. I'm like looking in your eyes as we're talking to each other right now, and I'm. It's distracting, Barry. I think I'm gonna minimize you. Get you out of here. It wouldn't be the first time I've been minimized. I don't even know what that means. So then, like, I got that picture and I tweeted it out. Right, and I'm doing. This was actually. Let's rewind a little bit before I left. I t- I was like, all right, I'm gonna wait till I get off the elliptical, and then I'm gonna tweet this picture out. So I'm doing. Did some- you have any? Um, did you have any qualms about doing that? I mean, I know how much you respect somebody's personal gym time. And meanwhile, you're gonna tweet a picture of them out onto social media without them knowing. No, you fuck. didn't have any problem doing that. No problem doing that. As long as he didn't, I was not gonna do it <laughs> while I was on the elliptical because I didn't want him to somehow. I don't know, maybe like someone he knows follows him on, like, will see it on Twitter and be like, dude, there's some creep like three ellipticals over from you <laughs> <laughs> tweeting uh, tweeting photos of you and then he'd want to punch me out. So I was like, I'm just going to wait until I get off the elliptical, then I'll be somewhere in the gym. And uh, so I'm like a couple hundred feet away from doing abs. I tweet it out and then I look over towards him to just see if he's still on there. And he's staring right at me, Barry. And I started to get all paranoid thinking, oh, shit, <laughs> he saw the tweet. He's going to come and get me. <laughs> it was either that or it was this like uh, really old guy flipping tires next to me, just making this huge thudding around the room. So it was probably the tires. Probably. Probably, probably. that. Yeah. You read that uh, Ian O'Connor ESPN article about James Dolan this week? Yes, yeah. I uh, I barreled my way through that article. It was a long article. It's a long article about James Dolan. Right. When basically all anyone wants to know is, would he ever sell the team? Would he ever well, I think sell that's the That's how it was like, I don't remember who, I, I saw that tweet first. That was the first time I actually like was made aware of the article was that that was like the big tagline or headline in the tweet was that, you know, He's thinking about selling the team, which, you know, you read the article and you find, no, he's not thinking about selling the team. He said, yeah, obviously that's always on the table. You got to listen to some offers, especially if it's an insane offer. You owe it to your shareholders to at least consider it. But, um, but yeah, no, you learned from the article. That's not what, that's not what the article was about at all. It actually sounds like he would love to sell the team. Doesn't sound, he said he doesn't enjoy this whatsoever, right? Running, running the Knicks. Certain aspects of it, right? But it was, but it's his fan. You know, people don't really think of this. They just think James Dolan owns the Knicks, but he owns a part of it with like all of his brothers and sisters. And I mean, the article made it sound like he's got eight brothers and sisters, but yeah. I don't know how many are over there. But he would have to get their approval, and according to him, none of them want to sell, and he's the only one who would consider it. Right, so I, right. I hate to break it to Knicks fans, but the Dolans and James Dolan they don't seem like they're going anywhere. Right, right. But I mean, to his credit, can I say that? Am I allowed to say that? that to, to James Dolan's credit? Have those, has that know. ever depends. been uttered before? It depends how I follow it up. So to his credit, I mean, he's pretty much backed off and kind of has let Mills lead the way. I know it's been a short time, you know, but even when he hired Phil Jackson at the time, he kind of let them do what they wanted to do and he'd sign off on things but he pretty much has been standoffish right yeah i mean i know this is an unpopular opinion and you know i posted a little vote on twitter of how many knicks fans would want james to sell a team pretty much it's universal everyone would want to sell a team (laughs) but i know this is an unpopular opinion but I don't know if I want him to sell the team so badly. Right. I mean, because you're if, right. Finally, he's backing away. And 
he'll put as much money as he needs to into the franchise. We'll never have to worry about that with him. Right. Ever. Isn't that what you want out of an owner? You know, you put the people in place that you think are going to do the best job. And right now, I mean, most of us as Knicks fans feel like we have, you know, a good foundation right now. Not not just of, of the players, but, you know, where it counts in the front office, right? And if we've got daddy who's willing to sign the checks for us, you know, for what we want and what we think we need, and he's not really going to, you know, contradict what we want to do. Why, why wouldn't we want that? Yeah, the only negative about him, I mean, I'm sure there are more than one, but the biggest <laughs> negative about him right now is even though he's staying out of the way, is just the general image that he gives the Knicks, right? And right. any right. sort of like um, perception that any potential free agents have of him or, you know, his, you know, his friendship with fucking Trump or... You know, or, or yeah, just, or the different um, times throughout his career where he has had like these really rash decisions or irrational decisions. Um, which so so I guess people say, well, yeah, you trust him now, but somebody says the wrong thing to him, and then all of a sudden, is he going to do something just out of spite, right. right, just to get back at them and not and not be so hands off, right? Like the Oakley situation. Like it might be good to get a new owner in with a who doesn't have you know any of these like preconceived ideas about him, and it's a fresh start. But you don't know how that's going to turn out as far as the yeah, money and how involved another, they might be, you know. Yeah, another example is there was a security guard that apparently like questioned who he was because they didn't recognize him. And he almost fired the guy right on the spot just because he didn't know and he asked him who he was. And he was just doing his job. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Shit like that. we did find out in that article that when he was more involved with the team and was flying home. I'm sorry, got a little stuffy nose here. Yeah. <clears throat> I almost couldn't speak, Barry. <laughs> he would fly home on the team plane after losses, and it said he played. I don't know if I've heard this before or not, or if this is old news. Just yeah, well, it was an unnamed source. It, right? <laughs> it was an unnamed source that came forward. Go ahead. That after losses, he would be on the team plane playing his guitar. I don't know if he was singing, but he was playing his guitar, and the unnamed source said like. Just the looks on the players' faces. Right, it was the last thing <laughs> the they fucking wanted to see or hear. Like, could you imagine having to be on a plane with your owner you can't say anything to, playing the blues after a loss? Keep drinking that Maker's Mark, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> so Anthony Mason's birthday was this week, and... Um, one of my favorite Knicks of all time, Alonzo Trier, where's his number now? Did a nice little shout out on Instagram about what it means for him to wear the number 14. That was and cool. That was very cool. Um, I thought maybe we should talk a little bit about Mace here. Yeah, I mean, he's a huge fan favorite for sure. Right. He was uh, like he represented everything that New York stood for back then, dude, right? He was tough. Everyone knows right. he was tough. Everyone remembers how big he was. You know, the original, like, point forward. Barry, he was an underdog. Do you remember how much of an underdog he was? Remind me. Set, set it up for me. Bring well, was, me back. So he was drafted into the NBA by Portland in the second round. Um, didn't really make it right away. Had to go overseas. Came back. Played for a couple squads. Just a, a few games. And then he was playing summer league for the Knicks. I believe it was for the Knicks. But Pat Riley, before he coached the season, he was hired to coach the Knicks. Watched Mason in summer league. He was an unknown at that point, really. You know, just came back from overseas. Just played a handful of games in the NBA. Saw him go end-to-end -end and dunk on an, on an opponent. And immediately wanted him as a part of his uh, as a part of his Knicks teams in those 90s. That was and it. That was it, man. And Mason like helped change the face of those Knicks back then. 90-91, they were 39 and 43 before Riley and him came aboard. And then that season they suddenly catapulted to 51 and 31, dude, and they were off and running. And uh I mean I'll never I loved I loved everything about him on the court, you know, the anger he played with, um, the way he brought that ball up, how it, how little that ball was in his hands because he was so massive. 
<laughs> right? Like he would bring the ball up the court. Just like he, he was like he was he was gonna. You thought that when he dribbled the ball, it was gonna go through the court. Yeah, either that or just it was gonna deflate. It was basically it the like the Hulk running point for us sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, he was the six, um, he was the sixth man of the year one year, helped us get all the way to the finals. He almost, by the way, didn't even make it onto that playoff roster. Um, he was involved in some suspensions, and Riley was considering leaving him off. Left him on. They went to the finals that year, and uh, eventually got traded for Larry Johnson, dude. But I mean, when I think back to my favorite Knicks, it's Mace. Oakley, Starks, and Ewing. Those are the four guys that epitomized everything that the 90s were for me. Yeah. Back in um, 1992, that summer, I went to a Knicks sleepaway camp. Mm. Well, and, you, so and, you were set the stage. You were 14. Yeah, I was 14 years old. It was it was a short, it was like a two-week Knicks camp. And never, never been kissed. And <laughs> That's not where the story's going. And your parents, uh, they packed your bags. And they they send you off to how long was it? It, it was just a two week a two week camp. two week yeah. adventure uh, to become a man. Is that accurate? So anyway, no, it's not. <laughs> but anyway, um, throughout the course of our stay there, a couple of Knicks players came to the camp to to either talk to us or teach us some stuff. So don't Anthony even Mason, tell me Anthony Mason was there. Starks came. Anthony Mason came. So anyway, so Anthony Mason was there and they were doing like a drill and they had like a little like half court scrimmage and Anthony Mason was like playing with the kids. I wasn't on the court, but I was sitting, you know, side the court watching and he was just and plowing. Mason he was plowing has right the through. ball. He turns around and elbows a kid in the face oh, <laughs> and man. falls to the floor. <laughs> but everybody's like, dude, it's Anthony Mason. It's like nobody cared. Nobody like, you know, got up in arms. Nobody was upset. I can only imagine if that happened today. Did the but kid was like, dude, it's Mason. I think the, the kid, kid was happy. Did he the die? He loved it. He didn't die. No, he didn't oh. die. <laughs> he loved it, dude. He said, dude, I got fucking posted up and elbowed in the face by Mace. You know, but uh, uh, so that's one of a, a fond memory I have of, of Mason being up that close. But no, is that, he was, uh, is that where he was the a mace, fun player to watch. Is that where the mace in your face saying started? <laughs> I don't remember saying that. Now, if that happened, the story could have went a different way. If he started pointing at the kid, you know, mace in your face down to that 14-year-old, <laughs> but no. So when I was looking and when I was like thinking about mace and those 90 Knicks, dude, I mean... There's some similarities to the way we're start trying to build the team right now, right? Starks was an underdog back then. Mason was an underdog. We had a you know very important draft pick in Ewing, obviously. Um, but we really didn't build our team through free agency at all. And it reminded me a little bit of what Scott Perry's doing right now, dude. There's this influx of youth with this team. And a lot of the youth, you know, beyond the draft picks like Knox and Frank or a lot of underdogs, right? Robinson picked in the, in the second round after not playing at all in college. Alonzo Trier, we all know, um, went undrafted and just signed that deal with us. You know, Noah Vonley seemingly on his last legs in the NBA, you know, getting moved from team to team. We give him a shot. Trey Burke, even though a lot of Knicks fans don't want to think of him as part of the future, probably don't even want us to mention his name here, but he's <laughs> getting another shot. You know, Emmanuel Moutier getting his shot, dude. It's a team full of underdogs and youth and reminds me of those 90s Knicks, Barry. Yeah, you're right. There's, I mean, definitely not only a lot of comparisons to draw to those 90s Knicks, you know, um, but, uh, but a lot of like little light spots to, to look at and bright spots, you know, of players that are on their way to kind of turning their careers around or just beginning their careers like the rookies that we've got. Yeah, we're, um, and these young guys, dude, we're in a little bit of a rough stretch right now. Like we said, two and nine over the past 11. Barry, what is it over the past 10? Is it different? What is it? One and I nine? You don't know? You asked me that question before. Well, sometimes you ask somebody a question that you want to know the answer to, <laughs> okay. not because you're trying to fucking show them up. All right, well, then don't answer it. We're 2-9 and nine over our last 11. <laughs> Just got off that devastating loss to Phoenix, dude, which 
you know. The first half, I was watching the first half. I was like, okay, these are like two like of like the bottom five or six teams in the league. And yet, this is a really good half of basketball, it felt like, from both sides. We were seeing good offenses being run. We were seeing just like a complete game. It was a great first half. Knox had a great first quarter, 13 in the first. Yes. Yeah, he's continuing to be playing great. Again, more passion from him. I don't remember if this was in the first half or the second half, to be honest with you. But when he was underneath the basket and he missed that first put up and he just battled and battled for the rebound, missed it the second time, then the third time and he got it. And and he was pumped up again. That was like the second time in the span of a week where we saw him go from like a two on the emotion scale to an 11. Oh yeah, he's had he's had a few moments in the past couple games, you know, where I've seen some. It seems like every game we're seeing something new from him, but the past couple games I've seen this explosiveness that I haven't seen before. You know, I think two games ago, who was it we played two games? Indiana. He had that. Oh, he got from please the three talk point to me. Line. I know what you're gonna say. He got from that three point line on the side, right? Got all the way to the basket, dude. Faster than I could like get my wallet out of my pants. Beat his man <laughs> off the dribble down the baseline. How fucking did you fast see that, was that coming? If you blinked, you didn't see it even happen. Oh my god! He just went straight up to the rim. What a powerful slam! Definitely my 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 top two favorite dunks of the season. That was up there with the Robinson reverse alley oop slam. And I think in that same game he had, or or the game before. Sometimes these games just all get jumbled together, dude. He had a similar move where he got to the basket and did a reverse and got it in very quickly for someone who. I didn't know he had that in him. You see this guy who's like, sometimes it seems like he's laboring out there or just moving in slow motion. But that explosiveness I've seen the past few games, dude, has impressed me. It's uh, giving me, I mean, it, it almost gives you goosebumps when you look at the complete player that he is. And I mean, the fact that he's knocking down threes at the rate that he is, the power that he has going to the basket, and it's only his rookie year. I mean, it's, you know, it's three months into the season. And yet, I mean, it's... From where he was like that first month, which again, it's not fair to him, you know, stepping into this league. Plus he had the ankle injury, which was setting him back. But I mean, just the rate that he's playing at right now and what he's showcasing, the things that he can do. It's like, I mean, your your, your brain starts to explode when you think about the potential that he has. You know, you don't want to get ahead of yourself too much because again, you don't. With some of these guys, you don't know where their ceiling is. But with him, it's like the way that he's playing, it's like he really has all the tools, you know, in his tool bag to really be something special. Yeah, did you see in in the Phoenix game when he took that three-pointer, missed it, bounced off the rim, and again, he got to the rim so fast for the, his own rebound and then almost threw it down, right, but got fouled on his way up. That was another just an explosive moment. Yeah, it's it's so exciting watching him finally. He's hitting in the three-point shots. He's getting in the lane for these floaters. These floaters are starting to fall. He's starting to get foul calls. And he's getting more explosive as he goes to the rim. Yeah, it's like the talent and the brains are like both like increasing, you know, and, and they're meeting at a certain point. And, you know, because he's just getting so much smarter, the more experience that he's getting. And he's been, I mean, give it to Fizdale. I mean, I think he's been averaging more minutes for a rookie, at least this past month, than any other rookie in the league. Right. The game you is know. slowing down for him. Totally. And he seems to be speeding up. So that's great to see. He disappeared after that first quarter. Um, probably doesn't have the uh, stamina as of yet. To I don't know if we've seen him go end to end in a full game, you know, with consistency. But he does have these moments and spurts where he sort of takes over. Whether it's in the beginnings of games, at the ends of games, once he puts it all together, uh, I think it's 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 to me it's obvious and clear at this point, even though it's so early in the season that, dude, he's no bust, and he's gonna be good as long as he stays healthy. Yeah, I mean, and all these things are like just things that make it a little bit easier to get through this like train wreck of a season, you know, as far as a win loss perspective. These things like seeing Knox doing this and even seeing Moutier like being a different player and, you know, playing otherworldly outside of himself and seeing Mitchell Robinson and the flashes that he's shown us and seeing Trier, who we didn't really know that much about how he was going to be coming into this league. It's all little things. Dotson, you know, you, you go on and on this list of stuff that just makes it a little bit just a little bit easier you know for us right 
Right. And how do you feel about Frank these past few games? He's sort of, you know, he had those couple games where after the DNPs where he played really well, was very aggressive, had a couple games against Indiana and Charlotte where they were not great games. And then against Phoenix, he was three for 11, finished with nine points, three rebounds. He was a minus 17 in the game. But to be honest, dude, all I want to see from Frank is aggressiveness. I don't expect him every night to go out there and be six of 13, you know, with like four assists. What Fizdale wanted to see from him and why he got benched was that he wasn't being aggressive enough. So at least in this last game, he put up 11 shots, right? And he was looking for his shots. Um, So I don't know what you take out of that, but those are positive signs. He's not going to be on fire every night. Right. If we see six, seven games in a row like that one, I'd start to get word because now he's entering you know a long stretch of a slump you know you have a a, a two or three games like this it's normal for any player to go through um he's not backing off at least which is great he's still putting up the shots you know you get 10 plus attempts from Nilakina. i think you're okay with that um you know from 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 where he had been before and and we've seen it you know if his shots do start to fall obviously those attempts are going to go up as well because he's going to get that extra burst of confidence that's going to keep him pushing even harder um but i mean we 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 see him mixing it up from three he took six attempts from three versus phoenix we saw him going through the lane we saw that nice little skyhook move Mm. that he had as he went you know uh, north to south on the uh across the court yeah and what has been consistent with frank is and it's been consistent ever since he came back from those DNPs was the emotion he's playing with right now. You know, how pumped up he's getting for his teammates. He's he's pounding them in the chest. He's arguing calls, you know. He's getting angry when a call goes against him. Like, yeah. he had that block against Phoenix that in tight that was beautiful. It looked like a clean block. They called a foul on him. And, you know, he flipped out a little bit. And that's what we want to see. We just want to see life from that kid, and we're seeing it. Biggest star that, you know, even though we lost. And after we lost that game to Phoenix, dude, everyone's going nuts on Twitter. You know, let's, but let's face it, dude. What are we, a great team? You know, we, no, everyone's I mean, like, I can't believe we lost to the Phoenix Suns. They had six wins before they played us. And then they had seven after they got the win. Dude, we have nine. We have nine we, wins. We have nine. Why I mean, do we Hardaway, Hardaway was sitting, our number one score, Hardaway, was on the bench. Right. Dotson's They've got out. the number one pick in the draft. They've got Devin Booker on their team. Right. They just, they're coming off two good wins against Dallas and um, uh, I think Minnesota. You know, what, it's, it wasn't going to be a walkover win for the Knicks, even if you're at home. And, they, and their home record hasn't been good anyway. Right. And we're without Dotson, Trier, Robinson, Robinson. Hardaway. You know, I mean, we could throw Porzingis in there because he's our best player. They have their best player in Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton. Is it that shocking that we lose to the Phoenix Suns? People see us lose to them and they want to be like, all right, season's over. Just fucking start the tank now. We suck. Fire Fizdale. The whole team blows. We should, it's embarrassment that we would lose to Phoenix at home. Listen, Knicks fans, I'm talking to you. You're talking to me? I'm talking to all the Knicks fans out there. Including me. don't, Don't be surprised if we lose any game. Any game. It doesn't matter. We could be playing the fucking Westchester Knicks. (laughs) <laughs> Don't be surprised if we lose. Okay? That's just what this team is right now. What right do we have to ever be surprised when we lose? None! <laughs> Before the game, we were like, even though we have all these guys out, there's no excuse to lose this game. Look, just because you look at somebody's record, it doesn't tell the whole story of the team. And and like you said, it's not like the Knicks are on like this other island so far away from Phoenix. And Phoenix is they're they're in the West. They're not even battling, you know, the teams that the Knicks are battling day in and day out. You know, their schedules are a lot tougher. Right, but the lone bright spot, Barry, and you you can calm down now. You're getting your pantyhose in a bunch. <laughs> it's all bunched up on that microphone now. <laughs> <laughs> Emmanuel Moutier is continuing to roll. He had 32 points in that game, six boards, six assists, and game after game over the past nine games, he's averaging 20 points, 
5.7 assists. But it's not just about the numbers for him. He's running this team. He's he's playing like a point guard, right? He's keeping his dribble and he's finding his teammates. He's hitting big shots when it counts. I mean, they're not resulting in wins right now, but you can see, like, I don't know if this is for real, Barry, but over these past nine games, we have a point guard on this team. Yeah, he just showed an immense amount of control when he has the ball, whether it's, you know, getting his body in between other players and protecting the ball and getting a clear shot off. And, I mean, and the impressive thing is, too, like, you know, after he hits, like, two or three impressive shots he'll still look to pass down the lane where a lot of guys are going to say okay i'm going to keep shooting until i miss no he'll still look for the right pass to get to the guy um he yeah he's he's just played with a maturity about him a confidence about him um it's i mean it's it's still shocking me to see it game in and game out yeah there's this control that i hadn't seen before it's not it's not all or nothing with him like if he drives into the lane and it's congested or whatever. He'll pull up and he'll spin around and he'll put up a shot from six, seven feet away and he's hitting them. And yeah, I mean, you talk about a game slowing down for somebody. I mean, you could literally see it, you know, the way that you can see it in his eyes that the game is slowed down for him. He's just seeing everything a lot clearer, a lot more vision, and he's just taking control of his own game that much better. It's amazing his story from this season where we as fans, but you know, before the season, we didn't even consider him when we talked about, you know, the whole big argument: who should start for point guard, who should start at point guard for the Knicks, Trey or Frank, right? If you ever ask Knicks fans, Trey, Frank, or Moutier, I, I remember doing a poll, and there were like, there's like two percent of the poll said Moutier should start, and all the fans are like, tell me the idiot who said Moutier, right? No one believed in this kid. He went from, you know. Fans wanting to just release him, wanting him off the team, him being all the way at the end of the bench. The only guy that believed in him was Fisdale. And for him to go from the end of the bench, basically hanging off of the bench, to Barry, I think there's an argument you can make right now that Moutier is, at least over this stretch, this recent stretch, the best player on this team. Yeah, I, I mean, you can't argue it. I mean, from what we've been witnessing, and, and he's got the numbers to back it up. And, um, you know, as far as like his transformation, you know, I think it was Rebecca Harlow that had reported it out that um, when Perry and Mills brought him over to the Knicks last season, they told him not even to worry about it, that that he wasn't going to be judged on last season, um, that they expected him to come back in the best shape ever for 18-19 and, you know, basically took the pressure off him. You know, um, just to come back in the best shape of his life, which he did. He dropped, what, 10 to 15 pounds. And, you know, he, he just came determined. You know, it really, I think, was a big factor in what made him excel. And again, that's just another another positive to the player development that this front office has been doing. And it just extends past the coach. Dude, Perry got Emmanuel Moutier for Doug McDermott and a second round pick. Scott Perry is doing a phenomenal job in getting some of this young talent for nothing. You add Trier to that, you got him for nothing because you signed him. He was undrafted. Robinson, second-round pick. Moutier, Vonley. He's getting good, young talent for next to nothing. The question is for Moutier is can he sustain this for the rest of the season? Because as we all know, He's going to be a free agent after this year. And we're going to have some big decisions to make. Right? We're going to have to decide. You know, let's say he continues this the rest of the way. Can we sign him to a long-term big deal based on three quarters of an NBA season when all the seasons before that he was garbage? Is it a fluke? Barry, this is going to be a tough choice. And it's... It's splitting the Knicks fans up a little bit because a lot of Knicks fans are like, oh no, I see what's happening. We're going to fucking sign Moutier to a deal and then he's going to suck and then we're going to continue to suck and it's going to be like fool's gold with Moutier. Well, I wish we had someone that we can ask if it's possible (laughs) to even keep Moutier and still have our dreams to sign a Max guy. Hmm. 
Like an elf. Like an elf. <laughs> Two elves. I don't know what that meant. But I think we could ask an expert. An expert mm. on economics. An expert on making videos about uh, Nick's shit. <laughs> this is me trying to, you know, I struggle with these intros for people. So we're trying to work on that Barry Wright. We got JB from Nick Film School. He's going to come on magically whenever Barry and I decide to stop introducing him. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we want to know. <laughs> I got to be honest, Barry, I don't understand any of this cap shit. I'll say it right here. Right. I'm pretty sure whatever JB is going to be talking to us about, I'm not going to take in any of it. <laughs> but I just want to know. That's the beauty of a podcast. We can listen to it over and over and, right. you know, until we understand. Right. Because everyone's saying if we sign Moutier, you know, then we can't sign any other Max guys or, you know, we don't want to sign him. It's going to eat up into our cap. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is, but there's one guy to ask. Who is it, Barry? None other than Nick's Film School's own. Right. El Presidente JB. of Nick's Film School. The CEO. Is he the CEO? No. Chief Executive Officer? No. Not like he, a doesn't, fucking, he, doesn't want, he doesn't want that title. Not a fucking company. <laughs> it's not a, yet. Not yet. It's the man, the myth, the legend. JB. Long time no speak. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. It's been too long. Glad to be back on. Yeah, how what's going on at uh, Nick's Film School these days? Uh, it seems like uh, it amazes me every day that, as you know too, there's somehow content to write about this team that's actually not very good, but we always find something. <laughs> there's, I mean, it's New York, so. Yep, no, that's true. And Barry, you know, I know we run into this every time we have someone on the show, but. Uh, what, that I never know where to jump in? You never know when to even say hello, and I don't I even know. know if I give you a window, so... You're right. Now I'm thinking I've been rude to JB this whole time. I'm sorry, JB. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Yeah, they, no, it's funny because it's the same thing the few times, because usually for our podcast, Macri just does it himself. And then, yeah, when I jump on, it's so awkward when he tries to introduce me because it's like, you know, why are we introducing each other? Like, you know, and I never know what to say, and it's... Yeah, the whole thing is the whole thing's kind of strange. And for me, Craig's always in the driver's seat, and I'm kind of, you know, sitting in the passenger seat. So, you know, I'm looking out the window. I'm looking over at him. He's doing fine. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to be a backseat driver or nothing. But, but yeah, well, welcome, welcome, JB. And yeah, I miss you. It's been too long. It's always awkward when it's not like these aren't real fucking shows. So it's not like you're coming in and sitting down with us. You know, sometimes we even forget there's a third person. And JB's like, I'm not even sure if Barry's here right now, but I'll just roll with it until I hear another voice. Right. That's right. That's right. So JB, Emmanuel Moutier, he's on this nice streak right now. He's past nine games. We've seen what he's done. He's looking. I don't know. It's still undecided if he's our point guard of the future. We don't know. We all know he's a, a free agent this coming off season. Whenever I bring up on Twitter or on here how good Moutier looks, there's always those fans that are like, well, it doesn't matter because he's not going to be here next year. We're wasting our time with him, right? If we re-sign him, we won't have a shot at any max free agents. Can you educate fans, JB? I know you're a big, right, you're a big economics guy. You, you've got, you did something job-wise with money and numbers, right? Yes, that's right. Yes. That's right. That's actually my real job has to do with uh, more economics. So, yes. Right. So, you understand like the Nick salary cap and the implications of signing guys and cap holds and all that stuff way better than two idiots like me and Barry. No offense, Barry. Hey, none taken. So, I would love for you to explain to to us and to everybody, if Moutier does continue on this path and maybe the fans in the NFC are like, oh, we would love to re-sign Moutier, what would that mean as far as signing a max guy this offseason, as far as signing two max guys? Would we need to get rid of more people on the team, you know, trade Hardaway? Can you just educate us a little bit on that? Yeah, I mean, the, the simple way to look at it is if right now the Knicks went into the summer with the roster they had, and they just didn't re-sign any of their free agents with the exception of KP, obviously. 
And then I'll, I'll even include Trier because he's got a team option. So, but otherwise, they just let everyone else walk. They would be about eight, depending on where the cap falls, about eight or nine million short of what they would need to get Kevin Durant on a max contract. Okay, so that means they would have about how much money to spend? So they have about they would have about twenty nine million dollars of cap space, and in Durant as a ten plus year free agent would require about thirty eight million based on where the cap projection is. Okay. So so that means, okay, they're already short is the point, right? So to get to that Durant money and why everyone obsesses over these trade scenarios every day on Twitter is they most likely would have to move someone like Courtney Lee because he's making about $12 million. And then if you do that, you now have your max slot for KD, but obviously that leaves you no space to sign Moutier. This is where his cap hold comes in. The, the cap hold, all that does is that, and this is what they will use with Porzingis. So maybe he's a better example to use. The reason the Knicks didn't extend Porzingis is because his cap hold amount of $17 million is less than what his salary would be if they had signed him to an extension. That cap hold amount means it counts against your cap even though you haven't signed the player, but then you're allowed to go over the cap to re-sign them. But it's like you, you have to account for that cap hold in your space. So the problem with Moutier is his cap hold around uh, a little less than $13 million. So if they kept his cap hold on the books, from what I just described, they, they just wouldn't have enough space to sign KD so they can't I guess what I'm saying is they need to renounce his cap hold to have the space to sign KD but once they renounce his cap hold they then can't go over the cap to re-sign him so renouncing his cap hold would basically eliminate the chance of signing him right so it would if they so this is where you get into like yeah if they actually sign Kevin Durant but if they don't they only have to renounce that cap hold if they want to actually spend that $12.8 $12.8 million. If they, if they don't, let's say they decide they miss on Durant and they decide they sign some guys to like one-year deals, for instance, they could just keep his cap hold and, and sign him over the cap, or they could renounce it and sign him for less than his cap hold. It just, in the Durant scenario, you're probably going to have to clear out pretty much everyone to get that space, so it just complicates it. But without Durant, you know, there are some options of you could consider to sign them. So if they, let's say they cleared Courtney Lee to create that space for KD, like you said, or some other Max guy, right? But then they wanted to sign Moutier and keep that cap hold. They would have to somehow move somebody else in addition to Courtney Lee, right? Yeah, that's right. And then at that pace, you could argue, well, if you move, so let's say you move Tim Hardaway Jr.'s $18 million somehow, or at least a portion of it. Well, at that rate, again, it doesn't really matter if, I guess, Moutier's cap hold, because then you could argue, you, I mean, are you going to want to sign him for more than $13 million anyways? So the point is, like, with Porzingis, his cap hold is less than what he will make. So therefore, you want to you wanna keep it so you could then spend over the cap. But Moutier, with his cap hold at $12.8 million, I don't know if they're going to want to spend more than that on him anyways, even if they did resign him. So I kind of feel like his cap hold becomes a moot point, I guess is what I'm saying in a a more complicated way. I think it just becomes a question of if they don't sign a max free agent and Moutier continues to play well and you can get him on a deal that you think is reasonable, like let's say he signed, I don't know, he said, I'll sign for two years, 16 million. Do you do it? Because you say all right, well, you know, we don't need to cap space this summer because we, we didn't get the max free agent. In two years, $16 million, if we need space next summer, we can move that contract. We'll just trade it. I think that's kind of more the decision than it is about how do we fit Moutier along with KD or, you know, if that dream scenario happened. Essentially, if we did sign Moutier somehow, whether it's cap hold, no cap hold, and we were able to miraculously land like a KD, there's no chance of a... You cannot re-sign Moutier and KD and another max guy. Right, because the two max guys... And again, KT already is, right? Like, it's kind of weird because he's already on the team, but 
technically you'd be making space to sign three max guys, KP and the two new ones you add, in which case you literally are basically clearing your entire books. So you'd have to move Courtney Lee and Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, to get even close to thinking about that. While, while we have you here, what are, you, what are your feelings on seeing some of these guys like Moutier and Vonley playing so well? Yeah, I mean, I'm curious really to hear you on Moody. I mean, besides being, you know, really bright with your economics background, you watch a lot of film. I mean, you probably watch more film than Craig and I do because, you know, as your, I don't know if it's your tagline you want to say, but you always say you watch everything twice, right? So, I mean, seeing what you saw last year from Moody, are you as surprised to what he's doing, like, through the month of December as I am? Because, I mean, I was basically writing him off. When this season started and I was looking at, you know, down the line when it came time to um, sign Trier, um, you know, before the season even started, you know, along the names of Ron Baker and Luke Cornett for me at the time was Emmanuel Moutier because I didn't think we were going to see anything like we've been seeing. So, I mean, did you see those glimpses in his games last year that thought he can produce like this? No, I mean, I was with you thinking that, you know, he would be the, the odd one out. I mean, it's funny though, quickly, I think a lot of Knicks fans started to realize that with the way they want to play more, you know, get up and down the court. Um, obviously, Moutier, I think everyone, even when they were down on Moutier, thought the one thing he did well was pass the ball in transition. The problem was they didn't play enough in transition. If that's the one thing you do well, and you only do that, you know, four times a game, then it's not worth having them on the floor a lot. But now this season with his shot, it's funny because I don't see like any big difference in his shot. He still has that weird hitch at the end of it. And at this point, I don't know if he's going to change something like that. It just seems like, and I think Fisdale's even said it himself, like it is a lot on confidence. It's not even like you're noticing him do a lot of things different. I do think that he, he had trouble finishing around the rim. And I noticed this year he's better at, um, like pulling up short at times. So rather than like, you know, and we always kind of made fun of him sometimes doing this, like drive all the way to the rim and then like fall down awkwardly and, and miss an easy layup. Now he'll sometimes just pull up with a little floater or um, he has this little like fall away shot that he seems to somehow make now. Yeah, he has a lot of shots that he's making now. It's crazy. I mean, he used to have like these acrobatic moves around the rim, like you pointed out, but now he's doing these acrobatic jump shots where he's either leaning in or he's fading away and yet you know more times than not they're falling and i don't know how much of at least that aspect is is luck and he's just you know riding just this hot streak he's on right now and really how much of it's gonna gonna stick yeah i think that would be my big worry i guess that is that it seems like he's while he shot better around the rim a lot of his efficiencies coming from those like short mid-range shots and they're not all like the easiest shots like you said they're kind of like acrobatic shots like you know fallaway shots so does he regress there a little bit um and then you know the the points aren't coming the same but you know i just think when you look at the roster and you say offensively he's obviously you know been a lot better than Frank. um defensively with his size especially he's i think better than burke or trier so, yeah, you're, you're like, okay, he's, he's four, I tweeted out last night, he's 47 days younger than Trier. You forget that because he's been in the league for a while. That's exactly right. So you're like, you know, if he's the best, if he's your best option on this squad, why, why wouldn't you consider him if you're going to consider any of the other guys? Right, right, which is why it's such a relevant, a relevant question that Craig opened, you know, up this interview with was, I mean, obviously he should be a guy that you're considering. He's already on your team, and like you pointed out, he's 22 years old, you know, especially if he keeps playing out the rest of the season this year, you've got a, a large enough sample size to say, okay, this guy is trajecting to be, you know, to be something better than we thought, and, and, and why not, why, why give that away? Yeah, I think really what it is is it's a symptom of all of us Knicks fans having you know, it's sort of like if you've had some bad breakups in the past and then you're dating this girl that you know she actually has some baggage too. And it's like suddenly things are going well and you're like, you know what? Maybe this is working. I want it to work. I think this one could be the one. But then it's like all your buddies are reminding you. You're reminding yourself, no, 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 no. We've fallen this trap before. 
And I think every <laughs> Knicks fan feels that way. It's like, if we convince ourselves to fall in love with Moutier, re-sign him, and then next you know, December, he's shooting 30% from the field, and he, like, <laughs> he's the guy we gave a contract to, I don't think any of us could live with ourselves. So I think that's why there's this like huge reluctance to like accept you know, whether he's real or not. I think it's just like that baggage that we all carry with us. Right. He's playing so well right now, but it's so hard to tell how good someone is when they're playing on a team that is not winning, you know? We've got like two wins in our last 11 games, and Moutier has been on fire over nine of them. And sort of similar to Trey Burke last year, my knock on Trey Burke was, yeah, but he was doing all that in these losses and there was no one else, you know, we had very few offensive options. And lately it's felt that way with the Knicks, with all these guys in and out of the lineup. That's when Moody has been shining. Um, so yeah, it's always, it's always a little scary for Knicks fans when you're going to, when there's talk of signing anyone to a big contract based on pretty much one season. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's why I think at the end of the day, you're, you know, I think he'll probably regress a bit this season. And you're you're looking at you keep him if you can keep him on a you know a reasonable deal. That to me, it's like it's okay to sign guys this summer if you miss on KD. Everyone's like, oh, just wait till 2020, save all your cap space. It's okay to sign guys. Just have them on deals that you can move. And if you have a 22 year old mm-hmm. player on a deal you can move, that's where Moutier could still bring value. But you know, I, I just wouldn't go too crazy with it. Thank you for teaching us about the money, JB. <laughs> Always a pleasure, guys. Any um, so a lot of times through your website, uh, JB, you got you're usually you know fronting some type of charity. Anything going on uh, now through through Christmas that that you're trying to get some funds together to help anybody out? Yeah, sure. So we, I mean, we have the we've been doing the new uh, one dollar a month that people can join on the Patreon, and then each month we pick a charity to go to. So for December. We have a couple that we're actually spreading it around. So one is like a coat drive and another one is a meal plan. Um, but both of those actually, funny enough, tomorrow I'll probably be sharing out some more details on that. Um, but yeah, obviously you could come to the Nick's Film School site or Twitter account and see everything about the Patreon and all this stuff goes to charity. So thanks for letting me plug at the end. <laughs> yeah, no problem, JB. You're a better person than all of us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here to make you feel bad about, you know. <laughs> you really do make me feel like shit. <laughs> you watch every play twice and you give money to people who deserve it. And I don't do any of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, JB. Well, thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Good Bye, night. JB. There you have it, Barry. You take all that shit in. Yeah. Thank God for JB and that he's willing to come on to this, uh, <laughs> to this podcast to, to spew that information. Yeah, I'm going to have to listen back to that again, really understand what he's talking about. (laughs) Right, right. That's going to do it for the show today, guys. Thanks to JB for coming on It's a Hard Nick's Life. Thanks for Micaiah for calling. You can reach out to us, itsahardnickslife at gmail.com. And tell us about your hard Nick's life by calling us at 516-33-MESH-1. There you go. What are the upcoming games, Barry? Give it to us. I know we got Wednesday night in Philly against the Sixers. It's an easy win. For the Sixers. <laughs> right. So after Wednesday night at Philly, then we've got an off night Thursday, and then Friday we're back at home against Atlanta. And then we don't play again until Christmas Day. And uh, we're going to do a Because It's Christmas next week. Our next show, Barry, will be Sunday night. So you can all listen to it Monday morning, Sunday night. Right. But we'll get it in. We'll get one in for you by Christmas Eve. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. We got it. We got a little party this weekend to go to. Oh, you get that's your, right. You get your white elephant gift yet? No, but I'm off tomorrow, so I plan on hitting the mall or something and, and doing it then. Did you? No, dude. I can't figure it out. It's supposed to be 90s we, we, yeah. themed. We, we go to this white elephant party, a tradition that was started a few years ago. And uh, for whatever reason, like there's always like a, a cap on it, like 20 bucks or 25 bucks. And this year they decided besides the cap, we're also going to give you a theme. And it's a, like right. a 90s themed gift but yeah i always wait till the last minute and i didn't do it yet not only do they want to do a theme for the gift they want us to wear pajamas to the fucking white elephant party i think that was actually my idea that was your stupid idea 
they said they wanted a theme for the party. I didn't realize they were talking about a theme for a gift. I thought a theme for the party. I was like, well, let's just go in fucking pajamas. There's only like, what, eight of us there anyway. We might as well be comfortable. <laughs> I'm not. That, uh, that's the, like, I'm going to be. the opposite that's of comfortable. the opposite of comfortable for me. Why? What, what's your, what are your pajamas? I don't know, you want to see? Oh, you can see me right now. You want to see my pajamas? This is what I would not, wear. Not if it's embarrassing for you. I feel like something's going to be hanging out that shouldn't be. They're just tight sweatpants. <laughs> tight sweatpants? Who likes tight sweatpants? They're not tight, but they're tight in all the areas where you pretty much don't want them to be tight. <laughs> and I don't need to sit there all night with everybody seeing every outline of my body. Like, that's not comfortable for me. It's not comfortable for me either, so I'll give you a pass. <laughs> All right, guys, until next time, it is a hard mixed life. Later. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.